Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. So today's going to be a little more personal than usual. In fact, I think I can feel a little bit of a vulnerability hangover coming on already because today we're chatting with my husband, ex-primary school special ed and behaviour management teacher, co-founder of the online triathlon and endurance racing coaching business T-Zero Multisport, and homeschooling father, the myth, the legend, my husband, Scotty Farrell. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Now, typically we're both pretty private people, yet I know I co-host a podcast. I know that that's weird. What can I say? I'm a bit of an extroverted introvert. Podcast is great. I can't see anyone. I'm just talking to the blue but, you know, we just love hanging out with our family and we live a really pretty relaxed and quiet lifestyle. So why put our private lives out there and get my hubby on? Well, one of the most common questions we get asked as mums who unschool is, you know, typically from mums, they say, you know, I love the idea of homeschooling. I want to try it out, but I just cannot get my husband or partner on board. But how did you get your husband on board? So I thought I'd drag in a husband who just happens to be mine, who is on board with unschooling and get him to explain in his own words why he's on board and what made him think that homeschooling or unschooling could actually work for he and our family. So I'd like to welcome my husband, Scotty Farrell, to the show. Welcome to the show. This is my husband. This is Scotty Farrell. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it's my absolute pleasure. This is uh, going to be a fun one for me. It's At the moment, we're set up in our little old house and Scotty's in my office and I'm in our matrimonial bed <laughs> in the bedroom. It's a real professional setup, but um, this is how we roll and the kids are outside and let's say they're doing a homeschooling activity, but <laughs> they're, they're on their screens. So <laughs> let's get rolling. Scotty, let's begin. Scotty, it even feels funny calling that. How? Tell us about your schooling journey. So did you enjoy school? What did you love about it? What did you hate? And essentially where we're going to go with this is how we ended up as a family on a homeschooling, unschooling journey. So I grew up in New Zealand um, in the heart of the Waikato or King Country. I started school in a little predominantly Maori school. I was probably one of about three Pakia white boys in the school for the first year and although I don't remember that much I do remember kind of having a lot of fun and enjoying it. Then we moved to a very white town called Cambridge in Waikato and I went to a co-ed Catholic school, really small school, only about 130 odd kids so most year levels were mixed and I have nothing but fond memories from that school and and all the friends I made and most of the teachers. It's probably, you know, one teacher that stands out as being a bit of a grump, but you're always going to get those in whatever school you're at, I think. So, yeah, primary school was, was awesome for me and 
I loved it. It was heaps of fun. But then high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic school in Hamilton <laughs> and, yeah, the wheels fell off. I couldn't really put a finger on what it was, whether I was being told what to do or whether I just didn't like sitting still for that amount of time. So that last year of school, what really held me there was just sport and enrolling in every different sport that I could to get as much time off school as I could. <laughs> um, and that led into when you turned 15 in New Zealand, back in those years, you could get your driver's license. So the day <laughs> I turned 15, I had my learners. And then you could also do courses to fast track that to get your what the P's are here are called restricted over there. So by the time I was 16, it might have even been sooner than that, I had my restricted license so I could drive around by myself. Um, and that was really a license to just go surfing and skateboarding <laughs> and do whatever I wanted as much as I, as I please. If I could kind of coax mom into let me, letting me take the car to school. Um, and I had a few mates that were happy to, to oblige by uh, throwing in some petrol money and spending a lot of time at Raglan. So that was that was my schooling. And then I, so I ended up leaving school two years early. So over there we have a year 13. So I left at the end of year 10 or 11. I missed out on my last two years of school anyway. But I went straight into a job working at a boat factory making finishing off boats, aluminium boats, and making um, all the plastic seats and everything that go in them. So that was a pretty cool job straight out of school. Good guys. Did you prefer working over school? Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty happy when I left school and had a bit of cash coming in and, yeah, could could choose my own journey then, even though I was working, you know. Seven to five as a as a sixteen year old. Yeah, and what was the journey from there? From the plastic, the boats place. Where did you go from there? So I worked there for two years, still living in Hamilton, and then I got wind of a course over in Bay of Plenty at a place called Mount Monoi or Tauranga, which is an outdoor rec course, and that really perked my interest. So you know, a few people had been saying had been saying, oh, you know, what are you doing? What are you going to do? You're going to work in a boat factory for the rest of your life. And and I'm not one to kind of sit around and be too content. So off I went, put my belongings, which was I think at the time I had a mattress in the back of my station wagon, headed across to Mount Monganui and started this course. I think I was already, it had already started, so I was a couple of weeks late, but they let me in and um, I spent the next two years doing that and got a certificate and then a diploma of outdoor recreation and a bunch of different tickets and like whitewater rafting, sea kayaking, abseiling, rock climbing, guiding. So I could have gone any which way really with one of those. And I did do a little bit of work as a sea kayak guide and then as a whitewater rafting guide whilst at the same time I was working Mount Monganui as a junior manager at an indoor rock climbing gym that some good friends of mine owned. So I was kind of surfing all morning, going to work at the at the rock climbing gym from four till ten at night, 
Um, and then if I needed to, I was called in to do whitewater rafting. It was a pretty, pretty cool lifestyle. <laughs> so then from there you ended up in Australia and you had another change of education and career. Do you want to tell us about that? So I did the guiding thing for a while and that was a great lifestyle, but um, I kind of got to the point at the ripe old age of 20 and went, um, you know, I need something else. This isn't enough for my brain, I don't think. So mm. I started thinking about what next and that led me to teaching. And then I came to Australia just for a holiday to see my dad and my stepmom and my siblings and went up to Harvey Bay to visit them and got asked to come along and play a game of hockey, which I'd never really played before, and ran onto the field and ruptured my knee, so ruptured the ligaments in my knee. And then while I was there, my stepmom Sandy said, what, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing next? And my next move was going to over to, over to the UK because my mum was working over there and I was just going to go and visit her and mooch off her and travel. <laughs> But having a busted up knee and needing surgery, I had to get the surgery done and luckily enough fell under Dad's private health insurance because I was staying with him. So went and got that done pretty much like a couple of weeks later and then on a whim decided to sign up and do teaching and I wanted to be a PE teacher but I ended up doing primary school education and working completing that and then working as a as a primary school teacher from 2005 to 2012. Yeah, so you were in the state system for quite a while and your your first class would have made many many teachers retire within their first year. How many years was it before you ended up in special ed and and then moving on to your behavior management role? Mm. Yeah, so that first year was definitely tough. You know, Harvey Bay has a low socioeconomic kind of area and that, that class had 80% of the class was from the local, two local caravan parks. Um, so peeps of streetwise kids, um, awesome kids just probably weren't really suited to sitting at a desk all day. But I taught in the classroom, primary school classroom for three years and then I was asked to come and work at a special ed unit. At first that was based out of of a primary school and then that went over into Urangan State High School and then I did that for two or three years I think on and off with a trip overseas and then in my last year I got seconded into doing a behavior support consultant role which was jumping around the two high schools working with um, different students and and their teachers just giving them helping them out giving them some strategies to deal with these kids in the middle there, not in the middle, towards the end, that's where Scotty and I met. We met at Urangan High School. At the time we had other partners and this is before Scotty went overseas. We didn't know each other and had, you know, weren't on each other's radars then, but when Scotty got back from overseas, that's when, when we re-met and we both split with our partners at the time. So it was even to me the difference between you coming home and working in primary schools for a bit and then high schools. And then the behaviour management, I could see the spark leaving and your passion for teaching leaving. Do you want to talk about what was it that ended up kind of making you leave the education system? 
Yeah. So what got me into education was wanting to work with kids and wanting to inspire kids and, and be one of those teachers that I had in primary school initially. And I guess what happened in education for me was that it just sort of became this big data crunching exercise where, you know, the powers that be from above were wanting more and more data and pushing more and more stuff on the teachers and then you know, that filters down to the kids. So it just wasn't fun. It was like a bit of a drag and the freedom that I imagine you had as a teacher was kind of somewhat taken away. You know, there were elements of freedom that you could do within that curriculum, but essentially you're still pushed to get that data and that just wasn't that wasn't fun and and then doing that behavior support job and jumping around a lot of classrooms and and a lot of staff rooms and I just looked around the room and saw all these kind of washed up semi you know looking forward to retiring teachers pretty much depressed um Mm. and that was kind of a wake-up call for me to start asking the question whether this, whether I want to be that sort of person. And, yeah, I could probably stay in the job and make the most of it. I wouldn't kind of mope around feeling sorry for myself, but there's definitely better options out there and that's what I started looking at and that's the way we went. Mm. I think a couple of stories that resonated with me about your own teaching career because obviously we've, we've both been teachers but that particularly that first class for you, your first year teaching, really green straight out of school and somehow you working out that these kids, you know, was not somehow working out but because you're a caring teacher and you know your, your kids well that some of these kids were sleeping on couches and there were house parties and they weren't sleeping and that the best thing that you could do as a teacher was actually give them a safe place to sleep during the day. And I, I don't think some parents realise the magnitude of the social demographics that we deal with as as teachers. Like, how did you find that aspect of coming in green and then realising that part of your job isn't actually teaching sometimes? Yeah, I was forewarned going into that classroom and, and I think that they kind of asked me if I wanted to. It wasn't like here's a job, you know, mm. take it or leave it. It was do you think you're up? to this like it's a tough class and me being me at the time I was like yeah I'm up for a challenge and yeah pretty quickly realized that you know when the principal says to you I don't care what you do with these guys um just keep them out of my office (laughs) so in saying that I had no freedom earlier definitely had a lot of freedom with that class in my first year but that was a very different scenario to Mm. you know 90% 90% of most classrooms. It was kind yeah. of that That class was pretty well known around town as being, you know, having a bunch of um, very streetwise kids in it and, yeah, it was a tip of the hat to me for taking it on kind of thing. And tip of the hat for lasting the year, that's what I think. <laughs> again, again, we you know it's not the kids' fault. It just doesn't make your job any easier when you still have to deal with the behaviours. Yeah, it was tough, but it was also awesome because we were able to, like, you know, the principal saying, just just do what you want. I turned that class into just a world of games and that was the kind of the <laughs> only way for me to keep them engaged. And, yeah, they weren't really sitting down writing off the blackboard 
you know, I was, I was in this 110 year old classroom with a slanted blackboard, you know, like some of the first, <laughs> it was old school. You were gang schooling before gang schooling was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to like, I had to treat them like Kelpies and take them outside, <laughs> wear them out, make sure they had food. Um, mm. And then if we were lucky, they got, they got to learn something, you know, and they taught me a lot too. Yeah. So let's move on from there. So, you know, you, we had we had our eldest. You went back to uni. I guess one of the reasons we are having this conversation is that Vicky and I get bombarded with emails and Facebook messages and Instagram messages about, hi, I'm a mum of, you know, however many kids. I really want, I'm keen to try homeschooling. I think it would really suit our child, um, but my husband's not on board. Do you have any advice on how to get my husband on board? And then this is where we're at. We're wanting to get a husband on board to explain the benefits from your point of view as a father. So if you want to tell us your journey from us having kids, and yes, both, I was still in the system at that time, but you weren't. I was still teaching, even though it was, you know, um, I was on mat leave and I was just doing supply or relief teaching. And I think uh, if you've listened, if anyone's listened to my journey and homeschooling which I think was episode 28 and Vicky's is episode 30 I've touched on my point of view but I'd love to hear how you reach a decision personally on okay yeah yeah let's give this a go let's give homeschooling a go yeah I think it was a combination of a, a lot of different things but I like to research the daylights out of anything before I can attest to this I, before <laughs> I dive into it so you know, having a kid definitely changes you and, and changes the way you look at the world and, you know, you've got this this little person you've got to care for and guide along their journey and leaving the education system as well. I had a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth about the whole, the way that's run and, and especially for boys because they just can't sit still. <laughs> but I think... Yeah, just researching a whole bunch of different things and I was listening to a lot of kind of philosophical podcasts and, you know, a guy called Alan Watts. I don't know if you've ever heard of People have probably heard of him. I do remember that phase. <laughs> yeah, I got on a massive binge with him and one of his things <laughs> is like why, you know, basically why waste your time doing things that don't make you happy. That was why I left the job. And then that sort of shaped shaped things in terms of why we decided to homeschool because it's like, well, I'm not going to put my kid into a system that's that's so archaic. What's the best option for him? And that was, you know, through research, through reading, through listening to different podcasts, through YouTube, through discussions with you through going around all the local schools and and actually I worked at a, lot, a bunch of, I did a bunch of supply while I was going through uni down here and around our area as well and got a pretty good taste of most of the schools and who was running them and how they felt and you and I talk about it. It's that, that question of, uh, you know, well, that statement of, uh, you know, he'll be fine. Well, it's mm. that statement or that question is, you know, well, is there better? And and there is, I think. I think mm. that the research is there. 
you know, the results are there, especially this, you know, those Scandinavian countries that that don't send their kids to school until the seven or eight and are very play focused and you know, half is he's nearly nine, but he still plays a lot. Mm. And they rarely sit still. So, you know, when the time comes that maybe he wants to go to school, then we'll talk about it. But right now I think what we're giving our kids is is pretty awesome. That's partly because we've shaped our businesses and, and jobs the way we have too. We can we can do it, do it that way. Yeah, let's touch on that. But first I, I do want to reiterate that I guess as in our partnership we've come to this conclusion essentially that if it's, if it's not a fuck yes then it's a hell no. Excuse the French there, but it's the fine's not good enough for us or our family and that might seem come across as a bit arrogant or really take it how you want, but for us life's so short and so fleeting that we want to be doing the things that make us happy and and what make our kids happy. So that's led both of us to leave jobs that we weren't able to either be. Like for me, it was not being able to be my authentic self. For you, it was like being jaded within a system where you felt like it might not have been actually benefiting the children because it was more about data crunching at the time. But let's talk about, because one of the questions we always get from husbands is, finances one of us has got to work and we can't survive on one income and and you know this is that's a nod to a capitalist system too where you know 50 years ago a family could very comfortably have a mortgage have their kids someone could stay at home they could afford the car and they could afford holidays really comfortably on one wage and and that has changed we we know that and I want to acknowledge that it has changed but do you want to talk about how we manage our finances and our work life to be able to afford to homeschool because that's the biggest reason slash excuse that we hear about people not homeschooling is I can't afford to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I had to go back to uni and, you know, we, we did the real hard juggle while we had a mortgage and pretty much living on one income really for, for a number of years and that's kind of morphed and slowly morphed into both of us having these jobs with flexibility that it's almost at the point now where it's pretty well 50-50. Maybe I'd spend a little, I don't know. Maybe. But it's taken a long time to get to the point that we're at now where, mm-hmm. you know, we're not earning what we potentially could, but we've chosen time over money. And, I mean, we're still, it's only been the last 12 months that we're actually earning enough money to start saving and being able to afford to go away on holidays and things like that. Do you regret that? Uh, no, not, not, not for one minute because we chose time as currency, I think. Mm. Um, and I think that's where most people differ is is. They're scared of not having the money that they've got now or the money that they're used to or they've accumulated so much debt that they're in a position where they can't afford not to be doing what yeah. they're doing. I want people to know, like, we're trying to be really authentic in our podcasts as well so that people know that we had debt too. So not only were we on one income but we had debt to pay off and a mortgage. So it was probably about sacrifice but... We're also not we're not the kind of people that feel like we need to keep up with the Joneses and we're not really, you know, tech or fashion or, you know, those kind of things. 
So I guess it's really up to each family what they're willing to sacrifice. And for us, like you said, time was our currency, time with the kids. And we kind of, whether we've said it out loud or not, we've kind of said, you know, we can work five days a week if we ever want to work five days a week again when the kids have left home. But I think part of that, do you think some of that is us having that education background where we know how important those formative years are in in helping shape a child's lives and values and habits? Or what do you think it is that has made us choose that time over work and money? For me, there's a couple of things that kind of change the way I think about life. And one, I mean, the Alan Watts podcast helped, you know, getting all deep and philosophical around that. <laughs> there was this one podcast I listened to. It was a Tim Ferriss podcast, and he interviewed this guy called Dr. Death. And mm. this he was called Dr. Death because he had been to thousands and thousands of patients and been with them on their last kind of, you know, in their last minutes. And the number one thing that he took away from all these people was by far and wide, most of them said, I wish I spent more time with my family. And that kind of, you know, hit home for me. And then my granddad, someone in my life that I look up to, he was like a dad to me growing up and just kind of, I still idolize the man. If, if I can be half the man he is, then I'll be doing pretty well in life. <laughs> I'll um, be happy with that too. <laughs> and he's been, he's 90 this year, and he's been pretty um, retrospective in the last kind of decade each time I see him. He, you know, he mm. often brings up, oh, I wish I did this and I wish I did that. And, and one of those things was I wish I, wish I was a bit nicer to my kids early on and I wish I spent more time with them because he was a workaholic, you know, like he had the, the business and and then the farm and so I'd list, certainly listen to my granddad and, and I definitely pick up bits of advice along the way. And that single thing for me is is the most important. It's just it's that quality time with my kids while they're young, life is fleeting, and to hell with the finances, they'll be what they'll be. And when, like you said before, when they grow up and they don't really want to hang out with us anymore, then I can work 80 hours a week if I want to then. So if if we flip that and, you know, there might be some people listening that think, wow, that's that's really selfish, you know, you're holding your kids back, you're keeping them out of school, what what would you say to that? Oh, I'd say that that's rubbish. My kids have got a pretty awesome life. What is it that's so awesome? Why do we feel like their life is better out of school? Well, the thing, it come, I think that comes back to the things that we value the most and the things that we want for our kids, which is, we, we want them to have those strong values and we want them to be emotionally intelligent. Um, mm. The other stuff they will just pick up when they want to. Um, you know, you can learn whatever you want to learn when you're ready. Um, and the mm. more you force someone to learn something, the less they're likely to get into it, you know. So is that our education background again? We don't have a fear of falling behind. Do you fear that our children will fall behind? You know, our kids, if we if we sent them to school right now, do you honestly think they would be up to where they where the rest of their peers would be? And if not, does that concern you? Oh, I don't I don't think they probably would be because we're not shoving maths and science and reading and whatever else they're doing at school 
down their necks every day. We're just kind of letting them be. And and why aren't you worried about them falling behind then? What you know, because this is the big thing. You know, what if they can't read? Well, they they will. They they will mm. learn when they're ready. Like Harper, for example, all of a sudden just started reading over our shoulders and we we're reading in books at night at, at six. You know, like whereas Lakey, he's he's a bit slower than that. Like he's still he's seven this year and he's um yeah so he's still six really but he's um he's picking things up a little bit slower but i'm not going to chastise him for that and um you know say you know you're not reading like hurry up you're, you're falling behind <laughs> how do you think he would have fared in prep or it just actually prep probably not prep in year one how do you think our youngest would have fared at a school. Do you think he'd be labelled by now? Yeah, I'm not sure what that label would be, but Lakey was very <laughs> kind of emotionally needed us a lot more than Arthur did. So he would, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he would. I think he would have struggled to sit and that would have ended up in a, in a label of some sort, being forced maybe. to sit for so long. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I've got a good story around that. My youngest brother, Das, is an incredible young man, mm. really good at sport, really good with his hands, really good at some things at school. I'm not sure. I think he was pretty good at art and the creative side of things. But academically, like reading, and he's pretty good at maths. Mm. Reading, though, reading and writing is just not his thing. So all the way through school, he's behind in his reading compared, you know, his younger sister, Meg, she's, She's pretty clever, so she picked things up and she's doing all his homework for him and reading all his readers and all that jazz. So all through school, the poor guy felt like he was dumb, you know, and had this this hanging over him. Mm. Um, and, and, and he's not. He's an incredibly sweet and intelligent guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Mm. Um, you know, he's good with his hands. Like that's where school works, me. It's it's not designed for everyone. It's not designed for the individual. It's designed for the masses and it's designed to force people and down the road of going to university, filtering yeah. in that way or, you know, was isn't school, when school is designed for the industrial era and they haven't mm-hmm. really changed since. No, it's designed for the academics and not the doers and, and by doing that it, it just puts this huge pressure on people to be what they aren't naturally and to think that they're dumb and that causes self-confidence issues for life. That's what I hate most about it is that people yeah. are classed as unintelligent when they've just got one a different type of intelligence. Yeah, for sure. And bringing that back to our boys, you know, like that's one of the things is they still come up to us. Like Lakey yesterday had, must have been, I don't know how he was feeling yesterday, but he came up to me so many times and was just like, can I have a, can I have a hug, Dad? Mm. You know, he's coming up seven. Like if he was at school, he wouldn't be able to do that. Like he'd have to bottle it all up mm. and maybe let it all out after school. But mm. the ability for him to be able to, to have that, that, you know, that release to be able to come up and just have a cuddle, that, you know, that's just worth it alone. Hopefully he looks back when he's older and is 
appreciative of all the cuddles. <laughs> Probably not till he's got his own kids, but that's that's part of the journey. But um, yeah. I wanted to touch on that. I think also, you know, our attachment parenting, like the research and reading we've done on that, perhaps that has influenced us too because we know that that attachment to a parent or a caregiver in those early years, you know, people worry about their children that are, you know, quote, unquote, overly attached. But what the science says is that when they're ready, they will unattach and they'll be better off and more confident. So that circle of security, we just need to be there and be there and be there. And sometimes that will be really short period of time. Sometimes that will be much longer for certain children. But if you unattach before they're ready, that's where the issues come, not letting them stay attached for longer than, you know, what's deemed normal by society. So for us, being able to be there for him during this time is really important rather than sending him to a place where he might not get that same attachment, I think, as well. Yeah, and hopefully that allows him to build that emotional intelligence and and resilience and, you know, all those those soft mm. skills that kind of go amiss elsewhere. But yes. I don't know, maybe maybe they would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not fine, not fine. Um, what are the benefits you see for our family and our children and even yourself in living the lifestyle? Because it is for us, it is, a, it is a family lifestyle that we have. Oh, the benefits are, are the time. Like, not on, I'm not on anyone else's agenda other than my own. You know, you and I sit down at the beginning of each term and we work out what the best timetable is going to be for the both of us. Usually um, I think that's probably, I, I've probably got a little more flexibility with when I can do things. You know, I like to do things on certain days, but that freedom to choose the way that we do things and where we do it from. And well, for me, I can work from anywhere pretty well anytime. Like next week, you know, all, everybody else is going back to school and we're going away while, while the caravan parks are nice and empty. <laughs> yeah, with our, with our homeschool co-op. <laughs> and, you know, I can bank my work before I go. I'll probably take my lap. I mean, I'll have my phone with me and if I have to make some calls, I can make some calls. But, mm. um, yeah, I have the ability to be able to do that and spend so much time together. Yeah, well, that's actually, that's probably the elephant in the room. I think underhandedly, you know, some some of the mothers are really honest that, you know, like there's no way I could homeschool my kids, I'd kill them. You know, I'm like, well, <laughs> probably said, you know, that's that's a concern to me is that, you know, we have these kids and then we don't know each other or we don't work on our parenting skills enough that we don't think we can live with our own spawn. <laughs> But it's, it's the elephant in the room to me is the dads. How they probably want to know how do you stay sane spending so much time with your wife and children? <laughs> There's balance in there, right? So, mm. you know, we've all hopefully got some extracurricular activities, even though I haven't been doing much of mine of late. I get my release through exercise, through riding my bike, through surfing, through, you know, getting out on the trails or whatever it might be, early in the morning when you guys are still asleep. So I get that alone time or that time with my friends and 
you know, if there's ever a, a weekend or, or something on and I have to go away, whether that's with mates or, or for work, then there's that as well. So, um, you know, we're not spending 24-7 together. Quite often on the days that you have the boys, you guys are off doing something or, you know, or I'm down in my shed yeah. working. or So it's not like we're breathing down each other's neck, but um, I don't know. The more time we spend together, the better we go, though. Yeah, that's probably what I was going to add was that we do spend a lot of time together. And like you said, our relationship has got better because of that. And there might be some families that have been working nine to five, both of them, and the kids have been in daycare or OSH or school. And it will take time to find that rhythm and get to know each other again and to be able to live with each other harmoniously again. But we have a healthy relationship with good boundaries and I'd say we're, we're not codependent and we have our individual lives and that's really important. I can get myself cared and downtime when I need to and you can as well. But I can also see how that can be really hard for some families. You know, if people are working away, they're FIFO or um, just different jobs or different states of mental health as well. Some people might struggle with homeschooling more than others, but it shouldn't be a reason to stop because I think with homeschooling, the best thing you can do is try it. There's no harm in taking your child out and giving it a go because you can always send your kids back to school. Yeah. The other thing to probably add there is that we take an unschooling approach, which is, you know, pretty far left when it comes to education. It's, you know, you let Mm -hmm. them basically explore the world on their own and, and give them little prompts here and there and guide them along that and provide them with the resources to learn whatever it is they want to learn at the moment. Whereas I think if we had taken a traditional homeschooling approach and signed up to some sort of program and we had this curriculum that we had to follow and we had these lessons that we had yeah. to do every day or whatever it might be, then that would drive me out of the wall is that I may as well be back at school, you know, like everybody had with COVID last year. You know, all these parents are, like, trying to do what they were doing in the classroom at home. Like, man, just let them be kids for a couple of months. That, and I want to add there that they only had, you know, parents only had two or three kids and teachers have to do for 25. So, yeah, and there's also different relationship dynamics too with parents compared to teachers as well. You can't keep a, a kid in at lunchtime at home. <laughs> no, you can take things away from them, but, um, yeah, it's completely different. So moving on from that then, what would you say has been the hardest or is or has been the hardest part of unschooling or moving over to unschooling for our family or for you personally? Occasionally I fall back into that comparison avenue where, you know, I've got a bunch of friends that do send their kids to school and, and you see what they're doing and, you know, it's awesome. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder how my kids would compare. I wonder how my kids would do and then mm-hmm. quickly give myself an uppercut and <laughs> realise I got it pretty good and that's not <laughs> what we're about. But, yeah, that's probably the hardest thing for me is occasionally kind of that can fall back into that comparison thing. but really. That's what we don't want mm. because they're individuals and they learn at such different rates and they're interested in such different things. It seems silly, really. Yep. So if you're not worried about falling behind, are you worried about them being able to get into uni? It's another really common question we get. 
No. Why not? Well, going back to values, you know, the thing that I want most for my boys is is to be respectful, caring, awesome human beings. I don't really care if they go to university or they decide that they want to be a lesser skilled job, you know, like standing down here on the corner on the end of the gravel road with a with a stop go sign. Not you know, not degrading that at all, but if that's what they want to do and that makes them happy, then just go do it. Yeah, I'm I'm feel exactly the same. Are you concerned that they might not be able to get into uni if they want to, if they want to become a lawyer or a I don't know why I always pick lawyer or a teacher or an engineer, you worried about them not having the academic skills to get into uni? No, not one iota. There's so many different pathways now that they can take to get into university or get into the program. You know, I kind of think that in the future, universities will be redundant anyway, Mm. because the workspace is changing. And I don't think unis are necessarily keeping up with everything that's going on. You know that that whole entrepreneurial space is is pretty wild. Mm. Um, you know, all, all the best entrepreneurs in the world kind of say you don't need a university degree. Or, you know, there's definitely some merit in going to uni and being taught to see the world in a different way that you do get with that tertiary education. But man, between YouTube and you know the myriad of websites and different courses and, and that specialise in whatever it is that you want to do, there are so many different pathways to, to becoming whatever it is you want to be. Yeah. And Harper, for example, now, well, it has been, is is he wants to design real-life transformers. <laughs> you know, that's been his thing of late. So, you know, that's going down probably a computer engineering kind of path. So. When the time comes, you know, you kind of direct them down that path. Like this is this is what these are the things you need to know, and they, this is the course that you need to go and do, or these are the people you need to go and talk to to find out about how to become that. It's <laughs> not just go to school, go to uni, and do that. We might have to get in contact with Elon Musk, I think, for um, real life transformers, but that's okay. <laughs> and. What about socialisation? Are you worried that we're going to raise like weird homeschool kids? No, I don't worry about it. I think that being an individual is very important and having that individuality drummed out is, is pretty sad really. You can, if, mm. if a kid can hold on to being a kid and being their own little person for as long as they possibly can in this world, then awesome. Yeah. You know, I worry. Sometimes I worry. I worry more that my perceptions and the way that I view the world is is not as balanced as it could be and you know they could be they could do better from hanging out with other people a little bit more but we do I mean we are hanging out with a lot of other people Yeah I think that's a really valid point though is almost the opposite of worrying about kids socializing with kids it is are we being too much of an influence on our own kids so I think like you said we do see so many and we've got such a beautiful village of homeschoolers and unschoolers I'm not worried about it but I I do think when they're older and they're teenagers that they might like to go and seek their own mentors that probably are not 
anything like us and I think that's going to be a really interesting part of the journey if and when we get to that point and hopefully we can find them some um, transformer engineers <laughs> that they can learn from. <laughs> yeah, or just good humans for them to look up to, you know, like just good people. Yeah. Just surround them with good people. You know, there's that whole thing of, you know, surround your, surround yourself with the people that you want to become. Or, yeah, and you are the, the five people you hang out with most or whatever it is. <laughs> we better make sure we're some good influences then right now. But it is, for me, it's been a real, really beautiful and sometimes terrifying mirror too as a parent to hear them, like you know, spitting those words that you've said straight out of your mouth coming straight back at you and it's a real wake-up call to making us better humans and, and hopefully that can help us break cycles that our own parents and their parents have passed down and I guess that that's my hope as as a parent that having a little bit more influence for a little bit longer is that by breaking down some of my own habits that hopefully they won't then pass them on to their children is trying to break break those cycles. So Yeah, that's huge. Mm. That yeah. For me, like they are my biggest teachers in terms of trying to make myself a better a better person and deal with things. Yeah. Not be so reactive and not not get so caught up over little things. And you know, I think traditionally a lot of men are definitely fear-based, like my reactions with the boys when they hurt themselves or mm. when they do things they shouldn't is definitely fear-based. Can you talk about that? Because I think that's really important to hear that come from a male's perspective. Can you give an example of that? If one of them hurts themselves, then my my react, my first reaction is is to get angry. Yeah, it's it's like, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's the Jesus. And that's, you know, that's not the best way to, to go about it. The reaction should be, you know, empathy. It's like, oh, you know, are you okay? Instead of, what are you doing? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's that's just something I need to work on and let go of. Yeah, but thanks for sharing that because I, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's passed down from our parents and our parents' parents and until people are acknowledge that it's sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it I think so yeah yeah if you I, I suppose having the time and I'm a very I guess introspective mm-hmm. person is that the right yeah. word to use so constantly critiquing my ways of being and trying to be better mm. which is one of the things I love about you most is that you're on this constant journey of self-improvement and self-reflection and, you know, you take on feedback and even if you don't agree with it, you'll sit with it and you'll then you might go and do your own research, but you'll, you'll actually, even if you're not particularly, I might not feel like you're listening at that time, which you generally are, you'll go away and do your own research and come back. So have you, on, on that, are there any resources that you point fellow husbands to or partners or Particularly, this is the other feedback we get from mums is my husband doesn't read, so what <laughs> kind of resources can I give to him about homeschooling? It can be really, I'm just going to say, it can be really frustrating from a mum's point of view when they've done the reading, they know all the research, they've seen it, they're ready to go, and then the husband is just essentially just saying, nah, I don't want to. I've got no research to back it up. I've got no reasons as to why. 
just no, nah, I'm not going to. Well, you can, there's, and you know, the saying like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm. So, you know, for me, it was easy. I have a vested interest in education um, and in my own children's education and their general well being. So I want to know and I care about who they're going to be and what they're consuming. Mm. What would you say to those husbands that quote unquote don't read or won't do the research? Get off your backside and do some reading and research. It's not, <laughs> it's not rocket science and it's not hard. Yeah, just let go, I guess. Mm. Can I add there, I would say that you don't get an opinion if you don't research. <laughs> That's what I, I frankly think is that you you can't argue if you don't have any research. So until you've done some research and you can argue back with me about the reasons why we're not going to homeschool, then you really don't get a say in it. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Unless you know both sides of the, you know, it's important to know both sides of any argument before you lend an opinion. Mm. Like if you don't know something, then you don't know. Like I'm something I've learned is like if I don't know something, it's just, well, I don't know. I need to go and research that or, or I need to go and find someone who does know and speak with them. For blokes, like a really good thing is is YouTube and, and YouTube, those entrepreneurs or, or people that they look up to. So who would you recommend then? Oh, look, Sir Ken Robinson's a, as a, an old favourite of mine. He's got a pretty couple of pretty good, I think he's got a good TED talk and there's a couple of pretty good YouTube clips of him talking about education and school in particular. Gary V, Gary Vanderchuk, the entrepreneur guy, he, he talks about university and school in general being kind of irrelevant, mm-hmm. um, especially for entrepreneurs. I know they say they don't like reading, but they're Carol Black essays. Mm. Like if you go to carolblack.org, her essays are unreal. Yeah. She's got all these essays on mainly on unschooling and, and different topics, especially around reading and, and then around, yeah, just, just being free. Up. Her main one on unschooling is called A Thousand Rivers. We'll put it in the link. It's epic. It's our, probably our go-to, isn't it, when people ask us why we homeschool as we kind of or unschool, we send them that or send them to Peter Gray or Start Raving Dad on Instagram is probably another one I'd recommend as well. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's very, he's very cool. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for our rapid-fire questions to finish up? Sure. Sure. All right. What's your favourite book or what are you currently reading right now? My favourite book of late is a book called The Overstory. Um, can't even remember them. Rogers, some by someone, Rogers. I'll find out. About trees and their relationships with people and not really explaining it very well. But that was a really cool book and gave me a very much deeper connection to, to trees and nature. That was cool. I haven't seen you so um, passionate about a book in ages and I read it after you and while it took me a little bit to get into, it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, it left it feeling like we're so interconnected and yet we're destroying the very thing that makes us human. Um, oh, you can't even explain that book, can you? But it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> took me to another place. Uh, I got that recommendation from a podcast interview with Hugh Jackman 
Mm. Um, Tim Ferriss interviewed Hugh Jackman and then Tim, one of Tim Ferriss's questions is that book question. And um, Hugh Jackman said that, well, that was one of his books. That was a cool interview. If you were going to change one thing about the education system, what would it be? I would let kids start school a whole lot later and let them play a lot more earlier on. Awesome. And where can we find you, Scotty Farrell? Tell us about your business. I'm an endurance coach at T-Zero Multisport, so you can follow me at Coach Scotty Farrell on Instagram. And I don't have a Facebook page, but you can follow my business page, which is T-Zero Multisport. Amazing. He's a fantastic coach and fantastic educator, and I'm really proud of where he's taken himself in his education journey and how you've grown as a father as well. And I just love you. Thank you for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Nikki. Love you too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was certainly something different, not just for the show, but also for us as a couple. We both hope this episode has helped answer some questions or concerns you or your partner or husband might have about unschooling. I'm going to leave a link to a huge bunch of resources in our show notes of this episode, which is episode 15 of season two, all about how to get started in homeschooling and unschooling. So if you have any questions, you should be able to find most of the answers to them there. We are also having like just finished this podcast and just decided to do this. We're actually also going to start offering consults on unschooling, but we want to be really clear about our boundaries here. So, you know, you know that we unschool, so we don't follow a curriculum and we don't, you know, quote unquote, do schoolwork as such. We also really don't enjoy the paperwork side of things such as registering or reporting. We both, Vicky and I, left teaching because of paperwork like this and the grading and the comparison between, you know, children that are on completely different journeys. So we don't want to spend our time doing more of this and and nor are we experts in those particular parts of unschooling and homeschooling. So we would much rather put you onto other people that love those aspects of homeschooling. But you might be asking, you know, what's left to talk about if we can't help you with questions on curriculum or daily school rhythm, registering or reporting. Well, essentially, we'd love to answer any questions you have on how to make the lifestyle change to homeschool or how to de-school, how to build relationships with your family and get that rhythm to work, how to work out what it is that your child enjoys, maybe how to fill your week without burning everybody out, um, and you know how to explain and justify your choices to your well-meaning but sometimes can be quite annoying family members who have no understanding of homeschooling we'd love to be your ally you know your coach your support squad someone to bounce your ideas and worries and concerns off of but we don't want to get into the the paperwork aspect of that we know that homeschooling and particularly unschooling isn't for everyone but we also know that there are very few people who are currently homeschooling or unschooling who are offering any services in this kind of area and we get emails I can't even explain to you how many emails and messages all the time from parents just just beginning to research or start their homeschooling journey and you know they email us with you know just we just have a few questions and I would love I would genuinely love to spend my day just answering homeschooling parents that that was me and that was Vicky five years ago or six years ago so I get it but We honestly just can't afford to spend our days answering each and every one. Otherwise, we would have no time to spend on the actual 
running of the business that puts food on our table. So this was a compromise that we could think of that if you do have questions and we do want to answer them, then we are going to um, ask you to book a consult with us because we can't keep up with it, but we still want to help. So this is our way of helping people that, that this that this resonates with. So to find out more, just email us at hello at wildlingsforestschool.com and we'll try and set a chat up with you, whether that's via Zoom or on a phone call. But our aim with this is that we're just hoping that these chats might help relieve some of the stress or they might answer some of those burning questions that are keeping you up at night. And we might be able to arm you with the resources if we can't provide them or more to the point, we don't want to provide them. I'm gonna, we have to be really honest here and we have to set really strict boundaries because we don't wanna end up down the path doing work that we don't wanna do when we've spent the last six, seven years changing our lifestyle completely to be not doing that kind of work again. So, but we would love to help start you on your own learning journey, whatever that might look like for your family. So until then, we hope to hear from you. We love doing this with you. And until then, stay wild.